Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Otani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is an absolute beautiful day here for baseball at the Oakland Coliseum as the A's are going to be taking on the Texas Rangers Friday night baseball. Three games left in this four-game set, and we're watching the Athletics take BP as we speak. We're watching them to get some work done in the bullpen. I did. As I said last night, if you're listening to the Clubhouse Show, I said I'm going to ask Mark Kotze about infield defense because remember, he has set the defense in the past for the A's under Bob Melvin. Do they work on, like, double plays when they're shifting? You will hear that today. But first, C.J. Nikowski, our buddy, big lefty from the Texas Rangers, does television for him. You remember him uh, coming out of the pen for years in the big leagues. And you hear him on – I hear him on XM. You can also hear him on Sirius on the baseball channels. He does a great job there. But primarily the main gig, TV color for the Texas Rangers. CJ will be by. We can talk everything. We can talk about Rangers. We can talk baseball with them. CJ is a good friend of the program. Love having him on. No question about it. Coming up at 4.30, Dan O'Dowd, the former GM from MLB Network, will be here. I'm glad that we're not going to talk to Scott Emerson, the pitching coach, because – I mean, does he have anything left to offer this week for us? And the only reason why I say that is because he's walking by right here. I forgot. We're live on video right now. I get so used to just being streaming. Hello, everybody on YouTube. Hello, everybody on Twitter. Welcome to Ace Cast Live. That is the Commander, Commander Cody, and the Mark Kotze Show will be here at 5 o'clock, and I have a TBD. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to get Kevin Smith after batting practice. We'll see. Batting practice is going on as we speak. And that's a great thing about doing the show, not in a studio, but doing the show on the field. We can do anything on the fly. Anything can happen. So 
Kevin Smith hopefully will be by. He is not in the lineup tonight. Is that correct? That's what I was told. That's what I was told by Greg Horn. I'm throwing Greg under the bus right now from our from the ASPR. So that's what I was told. He's not in the lineup, but we'll get Kevin Smith. He's swinging the bat a little better. Swinging the bat a little better lately. Yeah, Sheldon Noisy will be at third base tonight. Kevin Smith will uh, be coming off the bench, what makes it easier to get him. And, and let's be honest, if you like defensive metrics, you're loving his game this year because he is one of the top third basemen in defensive metrics. And it's funny because he is really a shortstop. The last time I talked to him was down at Ho-Ho Cam at spring training when we were there briefly. Last time I talked to him, I had a mask on, so it will be interesting to talk to him yeah. without the mask on. And uh, – he grew up as a kid, the all-star team that he was on, and the all-star team everybody in the neighborhood wanted to be on was green and gold. And so when he got traded here from the Blue Jays, that was a big deal for him. It was like, oh, his parents actually sent a picture of him when he was a kid in the green and gold all-star uniform. It's like, hey, you're going to play for the green and gold. This was a big deal for him as a child growing up to be on that all-star team. So a lot to get into with him for Kevin Smith, but something that – I woke up today, and I shouldn't be this giddy about this. I am very happy about my notes today because something was introduced today, and we've talked about it a lot, and some people don't like it. They don't like, and you know what? These are the old notes. Where, where's today's notes? Oh, here we go. So when we bring up, how long games are there is that certain part of the crowd that just goes i don't care baseball doesn't have a clock i never want to have a clock i don't worry about how long the game is and i think what we have found out over the years that that crowd has started to really shrink and the more we hear from people it is yeah i don't want to be there for three and a half hours on a weeknight when I got to work and I can't take my kids and I can't do this and I can't do that or I'm on a Saturday a Saturday for three at three and a half hours if you can't if you count the drive into the ballpark driving home you're talking about an experience that's well over four hours we don't have that kind of time so we have been talking so much about how to speed up the game whether it's been pitch calm we're talking about a pitch clock well, it showed up in my notes today. The fastest tempo with the bases empty for pitchers. So it says, earlier this week, StatCast added pitch tempo to the leaders section of the site. Pitch tempo measures the median time between pitches. In other words, pitch release to pitch release. They have data that that they've collected dates back to 2010. You can go back and look at the past years. For added context, they label any pitch thrown within 15 seconds to be fast and any pitch thrown after longer than 30 seconds to be slow. When I I point at you. Yeah, it means I talk slow. Did you ever see the movie Moneyball? I've seen it once or twice. I read the book, too. Slow. Plus, you can compare multiple pitchers and view how quickly a pitcher operates with bases empty compared to runners that are on. Obviously, you're going to work slower when the runners are on. But we have a leader in the clubhouse. We didn't even knew the. We didn't even know this was going on. I didn't know. I found out today. Did you know this was going on? Like I said, I've been using Fangraphs pace, which is a little different. It just shows you how fast in between pitches a guy goes. 
and Shane Bieber was one of the leaders on that list. And shocker, he's the leader on pitch tempo for Baseball Savant Satcast leaderboard. All right. Right now, he is the Shane Bieber, former Cy Young Award winner, is the fastest guy when it comes. You have to qualify now because Sil Seth, who we've seen in Anaheim, uh, he may be 10 seconds, but Bieber's 14 seconds. So I have released the baseball. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm looking. I'm I have released the baseball. Boom. Catcher has caught it. Here we go. I'm going to get it back. I'm going to get on the mound. I'm going to get my sign. Guy steps back into the box. I like the sign. I'm now through my windup. I release again, and pitch is gone. That's how fast Shane Bieber is. That's 14 seconds right there. Now, if we actually did the 30-second test, how long that would be, ready, go. This is how long it would be. We'd be standing around. I'm an infielder. I'm standing around. I'm kicking my feet. They're going through the pitches, going through the signs. I'm an outfielder. It's windy here at the Coliseum. It's cold. What are we doing? Uh, 15 seconds has gone by. Still no pitch. Still no pitch. Think how long this would be if I'm standing here and I still have not still haven't thrown the pitch yet, Cody. 25 seconds. We're so, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Boom, that's 30 seconds. Can you imagine all that? That Now we're starting truly to understand length of games, why they are taking so long. If I then take that right there, that 30 seconds between every single pitch, and now the manager makes five to six moves to the bullpen, which now for at least a commercial break is going to be two minutes and 30 seconds. If I did that five times, now we can see how the length, how we've added easily 45 minutes to a game that didn't need to have happen. Exactly. Despite the action, whether I'm walking guys, striking guys out, balls in play, double play, whatever, guys swinging at the first pitch or we're going to full counts, I can show you how we've added 40 to 45 minutes of just time that you didn't need to have happen that doesn't happen in other sports. In football, you have to snap the ball. In basketball, you have to get the ball not only across half court, but you have to shoot it by the time the clock goes zero. We have a pace clock in every single sport except baseball. We're now showing if we put one in action, and even StatCast is showing if we do that, we can speed up the pace of the game. So I went back and looked because I know we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how fast the clock, what the clock's like in the minor leagues. With nobody on base, the clock is 14 seconds, the pitch clock. With runners on, it's 18 seconds to go on the board. The batter. Okay, okay so let's, let's examine that. 14 seconds. Yes. So in the minor leagues, you have 14 seconds to do what the fastest pitcher does in baseball. Yeah, Shane Bieber. So every single minor leaguer has to be faster than, than what every big leaguer is right now. Yes, uh, pretty much. And... You have 18 seconds with runners on. That means the batter has until the nine-second mark in both instances to be ready in the box. Otherwise, the umpire can assess a strike to the count. So there you go. That's got until the pitch clock works in the minor leagues. We've seen it watching the Stockton Ports and San Jose Giants. I've seen uh, – well, those, I haven't seen any of minor league games besides those, those two teams play, uh, besides the Fresno when they come to play San Jose. But the pitch clock works, and we saw how it shaved off time to like two hours and 34 minutes is a given time for a minor league game right now. Um, the A's actually are one of the fastest teams in baseball when it comes to game time play. They're actually under three hours, but 
the pitch clock will definitely help. And I have the leaderboard for the A's right now. And if you do this by 100 pitches, because only two guys on the A's have done it, qualified with the 250 that ML, that StatCast did in the MLB notes had with Shane Bieber. Um, the A's fastest pitcher with minimum 100 pitches is Cole Irvin, who's pitching tonight at 15.3. So pretty much he's fast. Slowest, Not that fast. Slowest pitcher on the A's? That'd be closer, Danny Jimenez, at a whopping, what's his roundup, 24 seconds. Oh. Now, it is the last three outs of the game. True. I get it. Heart's pumping, adrenaline going. But, you know, if you just do it, like if we sat here and just went silent for 23 seconds. That's a no-no in our industry. Yeah, but everybody would be like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, if you hear silence for 23 seconds, I mean, that's how long it's taking. Yeah. And, but by the way, Danny Jimenez, we already know what he's throwing. Yeah, fastball slider. He's throwing a slider. <laughs> I mean, the majority of the time he's going to be throwing a slider, and we're taking 23 seconds to do that. That is just, you know, we don't like on this show to go, see what we're right. We've been telling you. We don't like to pat ourselves. Well, Cody likes to pat himself on the What do you mean? Colin Cowherd does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. We should start doing that. We're, 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 I don't like Or Ace Cast was right where Ace Cast was wrong. Well, and it, you, you want another one where Ace Cast is right? How, how, I've been telling you, they're going to do everything they can to keep these 14 pitchers. Yeah, we saw it. It's extended to the, the, towards the end of June now. Yes, they, they, they're now taking this into June, citing, wait for it, health reasons. Yeah. So, wait a minute. We've now played all these baseball games, and you're still going to say because of the lockout? Before it was COVID, now it's the lockout. They're going to find every single way not to give up as many pitchers as they possibly can. And what they just don't want to admit to us is that they don't want pitchers to go deep. They want pitchers to use max effort. They want they want them to optimize, and they want them to give their very best on every single pitch for only a certain amount of time, and then you're out, and then here comes the next guy. They don't want a guy to go through the lineup multiple times to get you through the sixth and seventh inning. They don't want that. They want you to go balls to the wall as far as you can, and then we're bringing in the next guy. They don't care if you blow out your arm. You know why? Because they got a surgery for that. They've got Tommy John. And they don't care. They want you to go all out all the time, but we we don't care for you to go. We don't want you to ever hold back. We don't want you, you know, we talked about, who are we talking about that? We were talking about Mark Langston, about, hey, listen, you don't go to your plus fastball in the first inning. You're not, you're not airing it out in the first inning because you're trying to conserve so you can go through longer in the game. And I talked to Dave Stewart about this off the air the other day over at NBC. But that's not what they want now. They want you to go max effort, innings one through four, maybe five, boom, you're out, we're going to the next guy. And the only way they can sustain that and do it over and over again, and I like what I love having this show on video now, is I can look down because they got eight gazillion guys down the bullpen. See, years ago, they didn't have that, so guys needed to go seven, eight innings. Now that they have all these guys in the bullpen, I mean, we try and conserve our bullpen guys like they're this precious commodity that we're now throwing a bazillion position players out there. It's true, they have. Like, they're, they're, they're now like, hey, listen, these innings don't matter. We got to save, save the 8,000 guys in the bullpen, so we're going to, oh, look how cute this is. Albert Pujols is now going to pitch. Yeah, we saw another one yes, the, yesterday, actually, in the 20-5 to Reds blowout over the Cubs. Angleton Simmons pitched for the Cubs. I, think, I, believe, I believe he gave up five runs in the eighth inning. Uh, not good. 
Uh, so I think that's now 17 pitchers now that have been used, position players been used as pitchers. Real quick for CJ, because on slowest pitcher in baseball, tempo, Lucas Giolito, followed by reigning Cy Young winner in the National League, Corbin Burns. How slow is he? 23.4 for Giolito, 23.1 for uh, Corbin Burns. See, this CJ's come on the show for you. We're now, we're now filming it. Come say oh, hello. Sorry. This is amazing. I never played hockey, but it's kind of like playing hockey, like how you know they change shifts and people just come in and out. Like there's yeah. no like, hey, we'll be back and CJ's going to join us after the break. You just put a headset on, a headset on, and you just jump right in. By the way, we've waited for a couple years, so I, I rebuilt the studio in my garage. Uh-huh. I made it more. It used to be more radio. I built it for TV, Ooh. and we've been doing this out of the, my house mm-hmm. in TV. Yesterday was the first day we finally got permission from Major League Baseball to do this on the field. Once again, we're the only team in baseball allowed to do this. It's amazing. Marcus Simeon, it just was fitting that Marcus Simeon was our first ever Uh guest to do it live on the field. So you're live on YouTube and live on Twitter right now. And if I knew that, I would have put makeup on. Obviously, some of us are more prepared than others. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good. We were just talking about I know something and wondering what you were like as a player. I mean, pitched a long time, but – now StatCast is basically following pitch tempo. Once mm-hmm. you release the ball, catcher gets it, throws it back. How long does it take? And right now, if you qualify, Shane Bieber is your quickest guy at 14 seconds. I mm-hmm. just did 14 seconds. Then yeah. I'd, What they consider super slow is 30, and we did it. I mean, if you and I just sit here for 30 seconds, it's awkward. It's super awkward, and it's interesting that they came up with that. You know, Fangraphs used to have they call I think they called it pace. And they had that staff for a while, and I believe it went away. And I liked using it because it's good for a broadcast, and I think it's certainly good for baseball and their teams. And you're not going to find a pitching coach in baseball that says, hey, we really need you to slow down in between pitches. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the only guy ever actually was a game here a few years ago. uh, Doug Fister was pitching for the Rangers against the A's. He was the one guy I thought was going a little bit too quick one day. He always worked really fast. But more often than not, guys are going too slow, and pitching coaches would like you to keep a good pace. There's a little science behind it as well as far as how much time a hitter actually has to adjust like if you've done something to him Hunter Pence was was very keen on all of this and how much time he needed to make sure to reset your mind to be able to make an actual adjustment so he may step out a little bit longer take a little bit more time if he didn't like what just happened on the previous pitch but you know the idea of trying to keep the game moving is important it's obviously important to Major League Baseball and to Rob Manford and yeah it's a fun stat the first person I sent it to when I saw it was our radio guy Eric Nadell because nobody gets more worked up about how slow some pitchers work than him. The Hall of Famer? I said, I got good news for you. I said, they got a new stat and have at it. He was so excited because I'm sure he'll be beating some guys up that are working too slow. Okay, you're going to like this for your broadcast tonight. Cole Irvin, when he went to Oregon, Mm -hmm. they had a sports psychologist show up, and he doesn't remember the name of the sports psychologist, but one of the things they talked about was it takes literally a hitter 14 seconds after he sees the pitch It then takes him 14 seconds to go through what you were just talking Mm -hmm. about, 14 seconds for him to, okay, what just happened, and to reboot. And that's why Cole Irvin wants to get that ball and get back because he doesn't want the hitter to be able to reboot. Same thing Hunter Pence was talking about. And it's an interesting number because I believe the pitch clock in the minor leagues is 14 14, seconds. And and that that whole thing is interesting, and I do think it's coming unless all of these pitchers, as they come up from the minor leagues and have gone through that system, are automatically working quickly. 
Like if that happens where they've been trained in the minor leagues and that's just the pace that they work at because of the pitch clock, I wonder if we have a chance to maybe hold the pitch clock off. I think Rob Manfred really wants it, and so I think we're ultimately going to get it. But it is it is kind of fascinating, all the science behind it. I remember a pitching coach telling me that that was probably around 2000 or 2001, and he had a little bit of a lower number, but it was the same idea, and everyone's trying to get their information the best way that they can. But he was like, hey, it's X amount of seconds, get back and go. And I was a slow worker and not intentionally. Were you slow? It's one of those things I don't think you realize, like you were yeah. talking about. Like, you know, what we do sometimes, I think we have an idea of a body clock and everything else. But on the mound, I don't think I realized how slow I was until I actually would go back and watch games because everything's going really fast in your mind. So it doesn't feel slow, but as you're trying to slow yourself down and then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, my pace is too slow. I need to pick it up a little bit. We were talking yesterday about how Frankie Montas in his last start went down after the line drive back at him, and we had Scott Emerson, our pitching coach here, and I asked him in his career, because in college I had to do it one time, come in for in a guy who was injured, mm. and they tell you you got all the time <laughs> in the world, but then again everybody's looking at you going, all right, how many pitches is it going to take? And, yeah. and you end up just getting real fast. You get on the mound, and even if you're not ready, mm. you just – you can tell a guy to work – to get – take your time, work mm. slow, but you're not. Especially – forget college. You imagine there's 40,000 people in the buzz, and everybody's like, let's oh, go, yeah. Jack. Yeah, it's not, an, it's not an ideal situation. I think the guys that do best in that are the ones that understand that you're actually there for you. Don't be a people pleaser. You know, it's a nice kind of uh, attribute to have maybe as a human being around other people and be worried about other people's feelings and keep things moving along. But when that happens, and coaches will tell you that, take your time, it's on your pace, but it's still uncomfortable. You feel like the whole world is waiting for you and waiting for this game to get started when you're ready. And I don't love the rule, and I get why they do it, but in that situation where you have to take your warm-ups there as opposed to in the bullpen, especially for these relievers that are used to it. Yeah. Right? You're so used to that atmosphere, having access to what you need down in the bullpen, whatever bands or whatever else you got going on down there, you lose all of that. Any stretching you want to do, it all has to happen out on the big league mound, almost as a form of entertainment for everybody as you're waiting. So if you wanted 20, 30 pitches, if you wanted to long toss a little, all that's kind of gone. you got to do it on the big league mound. So I wish that they would change that rule again. I know why they do it, but it is a little bit uncomfortable throwing those first few pitches in front of everybody when normally you're doing that in the bullpen and maybe feeling your way out a little bit. It'd be like the PGA Tour, like we're down at Pebble, and they say, all right, on the third hole, we're going to drop you in front of the bunker, short side you. Your first shot of the day is you're going to have to get <laughs> over the bunker, short sided. Oh. If you go deep, you're oh, can you yeah. that's you're what just it's like. Sculling it. I mean, there's times <laughs> you don't know, get the catcher down, and maybe you're throwing a couple, and they're kind of all over the place, and yeah. it just takes a little while to get locked in. But at least in that situation, in the bullpen, chances are there's a wall behind you. I know it doesn't happen here, but most bullpens where there's something behind you to kind of help your vision a little bit, or it's a smaller kind of scenario, but. Out there, it's even worse. So I always tell everybody about how you work for the Texas Rangers, but some of your best work, and I'm one of the guys that I love paying for it. I tell Mike Farron I'm paying for his salary, for God's <laughs> sakes. As I, I get, I, the reason why I, I get XM is to listen to you guys, and I think you guys all do a great job. And there's been a couple times, I think I've told you this before, where I've been in the car because my kid's are like, Dad, I don't want to listen oh, to this. Yeah. They love now Seacrest and Kiss FM in L.A. because uh -huh. you get all the channels. Oh, yeah. But you've actually had my kids, my 6-year-old twins, rolling in the car because you guys do some funny stuff. But just I think that's so key for you, allows you to stay connected to the entire game versus just talking Rangers all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's a big part. I'm grateful to work at MLB Network Radio, and we moved our shows now, our show where I used to do a weekend show at Ryan Spielborg's. Now it's yeah. five days a week in the afternoon. We do a 3 to 6 o'clock Eastern. I just I did it today from the hotel here uh, in San Francisco before we came over to the ballpark, and uh, it is a lot of fun. I mean, we certainly like to concentrate on what's going on, but to your point, you know, for me, when you're only calling for one team, you know, you, you 
a little dangerous to get locked in and really only know about that team. But now in the scenario where you're you're covering the entire league, you're interviewing. It's nice having the afternoon show because you get more interviews compared to when I was doing a morning show. It's really tough to get guys to oh. come on that early, which which we know. So there's more and more conversations that eventually then lead to something that's going to come up in the game, whether it's even a Ranger player. You know, quite honestly, I, I'm still not great at this. I like giving guys their space. I don't want to bother guys when they're in uniform in the clubhouse. There's enough media that has a job to do that I, I, I don't want to bug them too much. But you know, we had Martin Perez on the other day on MLB Network Radio. It's the first time I had a chance to talk to him this year. You know, just so respectful of his space and Joe Barlow. So I can get a little deeper in even with the Ranger players, but then to have the conversations with guys around the league. And if it comes up whether we're playing that team eventually, that's where it really helps out. Or if a game gets slow and it gets out of hand and the conversation goes to maybe some bigger picture things around the league, I'm armed with some information because I'm, I'm already covering it and then also probably have had some conversations with people around the league about it. You know, we never know how human beings are going to react when they sign the big contract. It doesn't matter if you get that huge signing bonus in the NFL, if you get the big deal in basketball, which is totally guaranteed like baseball. Uh, we had Marcus on yesterday. You know he'll he's a hometown kid. He's beloved here. He'll always be loved, and we root for him. I think about the big contract he got, the big contract Seeger got. You don't get off to a great start. I don't know. I don't know what's in their heads. We don't know. But just talk about what the reaction. Long way to go on these contracts. Just what's the reaction been like? Texas invest a lot of money coming out of COVID, new ballpark. We can finally fill it. We got these guys, sign them big, and they get out to slow start. Yeah, I mean, there's frustration there, I think, on their part. I think it's really obvious. Obviously, you know these guys well, especially Marcus. He's a, just a good guy who cares. Uh, and so when you struggle a little bit, it was interesting. He was having a conversation with Dave Raymond, our play-by-play -play guy, and talking about his perception of how people were maybe seeing him now. And it's, it's, it's a dangerous thing I think we all do, but especially here in sports where he's like, oh, I bet you these guys are thinking, oh, what, is it, what are we doing with this guy? Why do we give him the contract? He's not doing very well. Meanwhile, how we're really looking at him is going, we know this guy's an awesome player. We know, obviously, there's a lot going on when you sign the big deal. And for him, you know, he spent one year in Toronto, but obviously he had that, that base here for so long. Now it's his third team in three years, right? There's a lot of that goes there. You move your family down there. It, there's just a ton. And then you want to come in and be the guy. Why at the same time you're trying to get to know everybody we had new coaching staff. Obviously, they're all new for him, but there's a lot of new coaches here as well, a new system hitting-wise. It's just a lot of information, and I think you start to put a little bit too much pressure on yourself to perform, get off to that slow start, and it can just really be a runaway train if you're not careful. He's been swinging the bat a lot better. Nobody is concerned. So it's not funny, but I kind of laugh about it that they think that his perception of how people are looking at him could not be any more opposite of what it really is. Fans believe it. They know it. We certainly believe it. The organization does. And when it's all said and done, they're going to be very happy with seven years of Marcus Simeon. Yeah, you draft a guy out of college. He comes up. He's your quarterback, and you live and die with him. And then all of a sudden, you sign him to a big deal. It's like, how does he throw an interception when he makes $32 million a year? It's like, eh, things happen. Uh, you've seen the entire division. You know, we're just past the quarter pole. How do you see when you're looking at – Astros continue to be the Astros and do what they do. We've always worried what happens if Anaheim gets healthy and has pitching, and I don't know if you can sustain a six-man rotation, but, you know, the Mariners – you know, not off to run differential thing. This time it's mm. against them. I don't know what their fun differential is like last year. <laughs> but you've seen the division. What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, the division I think is still really deep. The Astros have gotten it together. 
you know, the thing about them is I think we, we thought maybe we saw a window that would eventually close, and they've replaced guys really, really well, right? Jeremy Pena looks like he's the real deal. Nobody in Houston misses Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez. These, this next group, this next core that is coming up is legit. And the pitching, too. Framer Valdez, Luis Garcia, we've seen these arms. Christian Javier. So they're a concern, no doubt. For everybody in the division, the Astros are going to continue um, to be a little bit of a concern. You bring up a good point about the Angels in health and pitching. Uh, right now, that lineup looks pretty healthy. Uh, at the top of the lineup, especially when we were there, they were going Otani Trout 1-2, um, yeah. which is, I mean, as a starting pitcher, there is no, let me get this little leadoff guy and hopefully I can get him out and don't worry about the contact guy that's trying to get him over. I mean, it's MVP after MVP to kick things off. So the pitching has been pretty good, obviously. You know, Noah Syndergaard was a big question mark coming in. He hadn't pitched in two years. He looked great. We got to him. We knocked him out in the first inning the first time they saw him, but they had back-to-back starts the second one. He threw the ball really well, and he's thrown the ball well all year long. So they have the pitching it will be interesting to see if they can go out and get somebody i think deadline time that'll be important for them to try to win that um division the rangers you know doing their thing and obviously we know what's going on here uh with the A's. and seattle's a huge disappointment so far quite honestly i think a lot of people assumed 90 wins just missed the postseason you look at kind of what they bring in you're like okay well where do we go from 90 like it's automatically going to be 93 or 95 and that hasn't been the case you know one of the guys i know you guys have seen him a bunch as well chris flexen was such a great story for them last year the value that they got for him on a really inexpensive contract coming from korea they probably recouped that value within the first two months of him he's really struggled this year uh kind of surprising i think he's one at six right now the era is pretty high so uh, that's a little bit of a disappointment. Robbie Ray hasn't quite been there yet for them. Uh, the young outfielders like Jared Kellnick, who's now in the minor leagues, there's certainly been some growing pains with some of their younger players. But they got Kyle Lewis back right now. Julio Rodriguez looks like he's figuring out. He's a pretty comfortable big leaguer. Uh, they could be a problem. We'll see if they can get it together. But it's been a pretty slow start. So this division's good. We know the A's aren't going to struggle for, for very long. They do a pretty good job of finding those pieces. And all of a sudden you turn around like, hey, what are they doing here? Yeah. Right? It seems like that's kind of how it goes here with the A's. So this division's going to be very competitive for years to come, I think. Okay. How many years did you pitch in the big leagues? Uh, well, parts of 10. I bounced around like crazy. But uh, I played the guy. I tricked people into paying me for 19 years. But okay. parts of 10 in the big leagues. 19 years. Now, I've been saying this on Ace Cast Live, and I know a lot of our analytics people do not agree with me. All right. That's nice. fine. They, yeah. you know, we have our, Who doesn't love a good analytics I'm, I don't always drink the Kool-Aid all uh -huh. the time. I have basically called it out saying, listen, you just want pitchers to go out there and throw as hard as they can, spin mm. it as hard as they can. You don't want them to go that long. You want optimum performance, and we'll always bring in somebody new to where we're talking about maybe not even having a guy this year throw 200 innings. Mm. I've been saying that's not sustainable. And this is the year it crashes and burn. You're not going to have enough pitching. And they're already starting to prove me right as they played the the health card that we still need to have all these pitchers into mm -hmm. June. They're playing into my hands. Uh, I'm with you on that one. And the fact that we extended it now, what, to June 19th for yeah. 14 pitchers, I think tells exactly that story that you're talking about. I don't know if it's that teams don't want that guy, but what you see happening, even when you spend a lot of money on a high draft pick and kids coming out of college, is they really protect these arms in a big way, and they're not going to push them. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I was, I was fortunate. I was a high-round draft pick coming out of college as a starter. And you were St. John's, right? I was. I was St. John's and, and, again, tricked somebody on one day at least to take me ninth overall. But coming out of college, I went and made 14 starts in double-A right away. It's not going to happen. They don't do that anymore, right? They, some guys don't even People pitch. People would be fired if yeah. that happened. I mean, Jack Leiter didn't, you know, he didn't, for us didn't pitch, and now they're pitching him this year. And, and I, I was fortunate. You know, growing up in the Northeast, I mean, everybody's story is different, but not playing travel ball because it didn't exist, I think allowed me to stay healthy as long as I did. But when I go back and look, it wasn't a lot of success there, but I was out there, you know, 14 starts on, in the half the season. The next, my first full year in baseball, I made 32 starts. 
and I think I had two relief appearances to go see, with it. See what happened? It's so baseball. And I, yeah, again, it wasn't all that successful, but I was out there making. You were the, I mean, successful. Thirty-two starts is a lot now for for your first year in pro ball. And again, everybody's story is different, and these guys are certainly bigger, faster, stronger than they ever have been. But you know, John Smoltz harps on this a lot, and, and I'm with him on this. It's the way that you train players and the way that you train especially these pitchers and it's like listen if you want you know you want a racehorse you want a guy that's going to be at the top then you got to train him that way right you train him like a pony you're going to get a pony it's kind of how it is but maybe they're okay with it they think that's going to work I would love to see some more guys pushed a little bit harder uh, picking those arms that you feel like you can you can really go ahead and give them those extra few pitches you know you're sitting at 85 pitches and you got your back against the wall in the sixth inning and a lot of times we go to the bullpen and I get it those guys down there are unbelievable but I think at least in the developmental process push them a little bit let's see what they have maybe they'll surprise you and you know nobody stays healthy I mean that's just the reality everybody gets hurt it's just what happens in the game and I think you live with it and you move on well I know on XM it's channel 89 I don't know what it is on Sirius but Sirius XM hey, we're 89 only now we're finally done with the two numbers <laughs> yeah because I, I, I remember because I, I, I bring everybody on from yeah. the channel and I was like well I got you on 89 yeah. NFL's 88, uh-huh. PJ Tours 92, so it's now 89. We're done. No more, no more uh, serious 209 XM 89. We are we are 89 all the way. And of course, can watch him doing Texas Rangers baseball. You're one of the best in the business. Oh, we're kind, talking brother. about when we're talking about because we'll lump it in as radio because even streaming and you know talking mm-hmm. about being on satellite. But when you talk about TV and radio, because we're watching your games on the time. You're as good as it gets. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. It's uh, it's very kind. I just I love what I do. I feel grateful. For what we do, I love the business. I love talking about the business, and uh, you know, all those years of playing the game, and, and 19 years, and it was eight different teams in the big leagues, and Japan, Korea, Dominican, all the releases, all the trades, all the nonsense that went on during that time. Now that I'm here, I realize, okay, I get it, because all those experiences have really helped me. Over a thousand teammates, you know, 40 managers along the way, all around the world, has helped me to see the game so many different ways. And we're still constantly learning because the game's always changing. And it's, it's really helped my broadcast career. And I think maybe I've got a you know, big, broad opinion of the game and, and taking it in so many different ways. So I feel grateful. I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm just trying to keep my head down and not get in any trouble. Just do it faster. <laughs> just give, give me your tempo. Moving. Keep your tempo. We need a faster pace. <laughs> that is true. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. That's right. We're getting you ready for a little A's baseball here as the Athletics taking on the Texas Rangers. It is game two of a four-game set. Don't forget, three games against the Astros and then three games against the Red Sox. And Kevin Smith joins us here. You may not remember, but we talked down at spring training, but I had a mask on. Yes, yes, I do remember. Yeah, there was a lot you? of people down there, but but I remember. Yeah, I'm yeah. great, man. How's it going? New guys come in, and we all have to be a mask. And you're like, hey, we'll see you in Oakland, but you're gonna have no idea what we look like. So it's good it's to tough. finally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talked about. I've tried to tell A's fans a lot about our conversation about how excited your family was 
about you coming to the A's because you were growing up. The big all-star team wore green and gold, and it was like an honor to be on that all-star team. They sent like a picture of you as a kid in one of those uniforms to remind you, hey, you've always been wearing green and gold. That's right, man. I mean, the the day that that I got traded, a lot of stuff happened, and and it was a busy day. But when I got back to my phone, the first first message I had was from my mom and dad. They pulled out the A's jersey. It's – it's a really small jersey. I think I was like seven or eight, and uh, that was the first jersey I had in Little League. And so they were they were excited. They're not excited. They're losing a lot of sleep because all the all the West Coast games. But uh, my dad's uh, my dad's losing some sleep before school, but he's happy. Where where are they? They're in New York, upstate New York, still. So oh yeah, so, so that's, they're on that's East Coast. Brutal. Yeah, they're on East Coast time. He's losing a lot of sleep out <laughs> there, but he's uh, he's working through it for sure. Actually, you know what? They're they are a little bit lucky because. When, when when did we so we used to be seven oh seven, yeah. And lucky that it's six forty. Like we used to be seven oh seven, and you're talking about three hour games. Uh, your <laughs> poor sure. parents. So it, I know it's kind of been easier uh, with the six forty start. You know, last time we talked, knowing that you're at heart a middle infielder, but yeah, playing a lot of third base. But man, this year you at third base, you start looking at all the defensive metrics. You're as good as anybody out at third base in all of baseball. I appreciate So the that. work you've put in, by the way, it's working. <laughs> Something's going right. He's getting me right for sure. Uh, it's been fun, though, man. It's been fun just learning the different footwork over there, learning how to approach different balls. And uh, it's been fun, man, watching, watching, just watching a lot of film, trying to get better every day. But, you know, he's been doing a great job making sure I'm staying on track and getting out here for early work and uh, doing the best I can to make sure I can get some outs for our pitchers. You know, it's so interesting when you play third base – and you play up, one of the things you can do is just block it, get in front of you, come up and fire. Yeah. And shortstop, you can't do that. And shortstop for me is always so tough because you got to have beautiful footwork, right? It's like the best athletes are shortstops. But also at shortstop, you don't have a lot of time compared to you do have a lot of time sometimes at third base. What's that transition been like? Yeah, I mean, once you catch it, you got a ton of time, right? But catching it's the hard part. So you know, it's trying smoked to, at you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just how much I didn't realize how much curves on the ball. You know, you're always getting a hook, you're always getting a bleed or something from a lefty, from a righty. So at short, you're getting way more <clears throat> straight balls just because they're hitting it better. It's more in the barrel. It's more up the field. At third base, they move a lot more. So just getting used to that, what it looks like off the bat, how I have to approach those balls. But trying to play third as much as a shortstop as I can, you know playing short for so long like you said you work on feet work so much and so uh, the more that I can back up and almost be like a second shortstop over there I feel like I get more range and and get the benefit of the doubt to the pitchers and get as many outs as I can for them. You know we talked to Mark Kotze earlier today for the Mark Kotze show about defense you know he used to set the defense for Bob Melvin and we saw it last night a little bit of a mix-up where you're looking at trying you know you got to worry about the bunt you got Elvis actually playing second base. You got Noisy, I don't even want to call that. He's in between what second and first would be. Ground ball to 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 Elvis. And next thing Noisy's cutting over to second base. <laughs> it's like and it's like when you take guys out of their normal spots and shifting yeah. and you try and turn double plays or stuff, sometimes it looks chaotic. What's it like as an infielder? Because you're doing things you're not used to. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, especially when we shift like that, especially with the guy in first, um, you're trying to take away the bunt from the lefty. So you're kind of playing in. You're pretty far from second. Um, once the ball's hit the E, it's either you're running to second base, but if he doesn't look at you, you know, E has a great eternal clock. So if he's diving he he thinks he can't get the out second, throws the first, all of a sudden third base is wide open, they can get the third, right? So a bunch of stuff runs through your head right there. Should I run to second? Should I go back to third? 
uh, can I even get to second? Am I just running over there for no reason? And then we got, you know, first and third if he can't get the out. So um, that's kind of what happens, though, in these shifts. You get a lot of weird plays. They're really fun to make when you make them, you know, whether the second baseman's running over or the shortstop's running over to make them. Um, you just hope that it all evens out at the end, right? You want, you want to make more outs than have, have of those. And I think we've done a pretty good job this year of doing that. Um, but, like, when you're in those shifts and those happen, it kind of gets exposed, and, and you kind of see those more than the routine plays that wouldn't have been made if you weren't in the shift, you know. So as a, as a defense, you just have to accept that we're going off the numbers, and, and they're putting us in great spots to make plays. You just kind of have to live and die by that. Yeah, the, the, the data shows more often than not the shifts work. It's just when something like that happens, you're like, what the hell is yeah. going on? You got people going on. And especially if it's in a play where you have a game last night where everything mattered, right? Everything's mm -hmm. so close, the game's going to be close, that sometimes those plays you look at and you go, why the hell are you doing that? Could have cost you the game. It's just yeah. – it, and I understand. It kind of reminds me like in golf, a shot that you don't practice, like all of a sudden on the course i got to pull this screaming hook around a tree. I can't practice that on the range. <laughs> Seems like sometimes you exactly. guys are in that in that spot. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes baseball fun is all those plays you don't practice, right, where you're out there and it's in just in a weird situation where maybe it happens once or twice a year and it's not worth it to spend an hour, you know, before a game focusing on that one play. You might as well, you know, practice on the 80%, the 90% that you're going to get. So when those happen, though, that's kind of – that's why we're out there. That's why it's fun. And, and what makes it so fun to be out there is when those plays happen and, and you make them, it's like no one even knew what we were supposed to do. We were in a crazy situation that we've never been in, and, and we end up getting the out. So, you know, that makes it fun, but it also makes it hectic out there sometimes. There's been times where you've gotten hot offensively. What do you think is the key for you getting more at-bats and playing every day? Of course, you had a little bit of the hiccup in the injury, but just w what's it going to take for you to truly get back on track? Yeah, I think it's just being consistent, you know. Obviously, the injury was tough. I felt like I was I was really good before that, and now we're finally getting back in the groove. But, you know, it's it's tough, man. It's the big Don't leagues. Slide. You're facing. You're Don't facing. Slide. It, that was a crazy play. So I actually tripped myself like two steps before then, yeah. and it was either head first or feet first, and my body, I just blacked out. And uh, I got up, and I was fine. I told D, I said, if I hurt myself right there, I'd be really pissed off. And then, of course, you know, the next day it blows up, and we had a few days there. But, um, yeah, that's that's the that's the name of the game, right? You're facing the best guys in the world every single day. And so that's this is the first level you get to do that at, and, you, and hopefully you do it for a really long time. So, just getting used to, to how the game goes, you know, the pitchers that you haven't seen before. Um, they've seen a lot of hitters before, you know, so they know how to attack you. And it's just that back and forth of constantly making adjustments. But, you know, the more at-bats you get and the more games that you play, the more comfortable that you feel, the more you can kind of be more consistent. And something that we've been talking about today that's been coming out in the notes and it's kind of they're now doing this thing called pitch, pitch tempo where they're tracking how fast the pitchers are. So I say it all the time, work fast, work fast, because it helps not only the pitcher, the catcher get into rhythm, Defense. but it helps the D. Explain sure. to everybody 100%. the difference between a guy who works fast and you as an infielder are versus a guy who works slow. Yeah, it's tough because when the guy's working fast, like you're ready constantly, right? So he pitches, he comes back, you're getting ready again. You can kind of get in the flow of the game. Typically, the defense just plays better because you're not out there for 25, 30 minutes at that time, you know. So when a guy's working slow, it gets a little harder. You gotta you gotta wait a little longer if they're if they're not really hitting their spots and they start walking guys. Now you know you've been out there for five or ten minutes where a play hasn't been made. You haven't really moved around. You haven't thrown. So 
I don't know what the science is behind it. I'd be interested in someone a lot smarter than me kind of looking into that. But just as a def as a defense, you know, when you're out there and, and got, like, someone like Irving or Logue, I mean, all of our pitchers, Blackburn, I mean, just attacking guys and working fast, it helps us a bunch. I can tell you, we did the stopwatch out here at the start of the show. We did 14 seconds. Goes by pretty quick. Yeah. 30 seconds? It's a Tough. long time. If we sat here just 30 seconds, it's a long time. If you did that in between time. every pitch, you could mm -hmm. see as an infielder just going, Bro, throw the ball. Let's go. Like, <laughs> Locking like, in for that long is tough. It makes it that, That's the biggest thing, right? You want to lock in every pitch. Like You want to make sure that you're on, on your game. So the longer you have to go between that, it's not just that one pitch. It's every you know 170 pitches throughout the night over and over every day um, instead of it being a lot more quick and, and you can kind of you know be on top of your game a little better. All right, we know you got to get in, so let's end on this. Now playing for a California team. Mm -hmm. You've been here for a while. You've had a few weeks. You had that one where you're here, San Francisco back and long. Place to sleep in your own bed now yeah. here. What is the one thing you've really enjoyed about now playing full-time for a California team? It's got to be the weather. Got to be the weather. I'm from New York. I, I've always wanted to live in Cali. Like when we were in elementary school and they are like, where's your dream spot to live? It was always Cali. So, like I said, my, my parents are losing a lot of sleep, but uh, my body works way better on West Coast time. <laughs> I feel, you know, on the East, you're up really late, and then you get over here, and it's 11 o'clock, and you can get to bed and, and get some good sleep in. But uh, it's got to be the weather, man. It's, it's been awesome. It's sunny all the time. It's You never have to worry if it's going to downpour for three straight days. You never have to worry about a May snowstorm. So uh, it's been great. Rain delays. You see that? See, see people can see. where They're watching it right now yeah, live. there we go. That there thing, that tarp never gets pulled out. <laughs> Never, I don't even know if there's a tarp under there. I, I can't even remember. Anybody yeah. remember last time? When's the last time, Cody, we pulled the tarp out? I think the last rain delay slash postponement was like 2017. Okay. I guess it's worth it to have the tarp every five, six years, right? Got to pull it out. Welcome to California, my hey, friend. Seattle did it right. They, they just pulled that dome right over and we kept playing. So Yeah, they make sure. And the great thing, Texas and the humidity and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets hot. It rains every day. Yeah. Not anymore. You get 81 games in. It's right. 72 degrees and let's go. That's what's nice about here, too. I heard when it gets hot in the summer, you know, in New York, it's humid. You don't want to go outside. No here humidity. It's, here it's perfect. So uh, I'm excited for the rest of the year, man. It's going to be fun. Well, welcome to your first time on our set here yeah, at AceCast nice. Live. Yeah. Great stuff. Keep killing it at third base, and we'll talk Thank to you. you soon. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. We got more coming up next right here on AceCast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, earlier this week, we were able to sit down with the former GM, and you see him as an analyst on MLB Network. He's really, I, I, I think he's the best. Because, hey, former players are great. Broadcasters are great. But a guy who actually was a GM for a long time and an assistant GM and knows the business, truly knows the business of baseball, he gets it. And I love him as an analyst. Here's my conversation with Dan O'Dowd, former general manager and now analyst, MLB Network. 
Well, I say it all the time. Everybody knows how much we love MLB Network, and we have all their personalities on. But my favorite, by far, and it's been a while. We haven't talked to him since the winter meetings in San Diego because I don't think anybody on the network can break it down the way he does. Dan O'Dowd is with us here once again on A's Cast Live. How have you been? It's been a while. Well, it has been. Thank you so much for having me on. I love talking to you guys. The, re- the truth of this is I'm supposed to be on 30 minutes pr- prior to this call, so uh, I owe you some extra time on this one. So I appreciate it. Love having you on, and I look forward to our conversation. Bottom line, if this is Brian Kinney, I would have been out of here already hitting golf balls. But for you, I'll, re- I'll wait around all day. Well, I wouldn't even ask for Brian to come on, so that would have been a good – that would be a good start to begin with. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, I've always appreciated about you on MLB Network, and just because of my relationship with Billy Bean, I've known Billy really well since, uh, you know, going back to he got the gig in the 90s. You know, David Force has been around for yep. so long with our organization. I know how hard your guy's job is. And the one thing I think the perspective, you know, we love listening to ex-players. We like listening to these guys in the media, but someone like yourself, you truly understand what it's like, the business of baseball, how to build teams. When you look at your role with the network, how do you go about it? Because you bring something, a skill set, really. I mean, John Hart pops on every once in a while, but you bring a skill set that no one else has. Yeah, you know, it's unique. I mean, we're all a byproduct of our life experiences. Even as a GM, my life experience, in the markets that I was in will be different from other GMs in the markets and the ownership groups they've been around. What, what I try to do, though, from day one is be transparent with my thoughts, um, recognizing, as you said, how difficult the job is, uh, but also, you know, calling it as I see it based upon how I look at it, which doesn't make it be right, but it's simply, you know, my thoughts on a given area. I've never done the job trying to position myself to do another job in the game. I've tried to be as honest and forthright with my opinions and recognizing that are going to be some people that accept that and, and understand where I'm coming from. Some will get angry, but people like Billy, who's a dear friend of mine too, he, he'll get that. He'll get, you know, that, uh, you know, Dan is speaking from the heart about how he looks at a particular situation and what his thoughts are on it. I always wanted the, the viewer or the audience to come away with a feeling that I'm, I'm being authentic with them, right or wrong. I'm trying to be as authentic as I possibly can. You know, and you think about the situation, you know, you understand what you've done in your career when you're a team trying to get a new ballpark, building a new ballpark, as you did all those years in Cleveland. You know, where Billy and David are right now is such a tough situation because all of these years of trying to win and winning, but it's always the unknown, right? There's always the carrot out there about the new ballpark, the new ballpark. Now we talk about a parallel path of either Oakland or Las Vegas. Just talk about for Billy and David, just how tough the job is right now to run the Oakland athletics. I mean, I, I look at it this way. Um, Billy and David have done something that is really unheard of the game. I know that they haven't gone to a world series or won a world series, which by the way, I, I don't think is any indication of the quality of a front office within our game because there's skill and luck involved in postseason because of the shorter sample sizes, they've had plenty of teams that could have gone on and won the World Series. Saying that, though, that Billy and David, up to this year, every single year, no matter what the circumstances are, 
always, for the most part, put a very competitive product on the field. They never went back to the foundation roots of tearing something down completely and building it from scratch. I mean, you look at the careers of other executives in the game, and, and no deference or criticism of them at all, but I look at Theo Epstein, went to Boston, won left. He went to Chicago, won left. David Dombrowski won in Miami, left to go to Detroit, won in Detroit, left to go to Boston, won in Boston, now is in Philadelphia. You know, there's a, a litany of executives that have won in a given place and then chosen to leave, and that's because, guys, it is so hard to, to rebuild an organization to, to get to the point where you're going to win and then have to tear it somewhat down again and try to win again. It's, it's emotionally hard. It's physically draining. It's you lose political capital within the, the structure and the environment that you're in and the marketplace you're in. So what David and Billy have been able to accomplish year after year for me is a testimony of how good they are, what they do. I think Billy Bean is a Hall of Famer for me. I don't care if he's never won a World Series. I truly feel Billy is a slam dunk Hall of Famer because I think he's changed the way people look at the game. I think Dayton Moore is going through that now in Kansas City. They won. He went through this massive rebuild. They won in Kansas City. Now he's trying to rebuild it again, and it's just hard. And the other part makes it so difficult is that your life experience in the game teaches you, okay, in this given situation, we should look at this a certain way, but the game is changing and evolving all the time. And so you have to constantly change and evolve with it. And even though your experience plays a role, your ability to adapt to a current environment is just, it's really challenging. And, I, you know, Billy, after doing it for so many years, I'm just, I'm humbled. Um, and he has been able to stick with it. I'm sure having David by his side makes it a little bit easier, but it's still really challenging for those two guys. And this is the first time that I can recall that they've ever really gone into a rebuild. And uh, I'm sure it's painful because no matter how long you've been in the game, losing stinks, period. You know, in the offseason, Perry Manassian, the general manager of the Angels, talked about how the average team will use 13 starters in a season. And I was like, wow. And then I'm looking at the MLB Network notes yesterday, and Detroit ha Detroit has now tied the Rays, and the Rays obviously with a lot of the openers, but – Detroit and the Rays have already at the quarter pole used 11 different starters. And I'm thinking, how big can this number get? You're only, I mean, you got a 40 man roster. You can only get so many guys to the big leagues. Like what are we talking about here with the amount of starters people are going to use in a season? And the number one question for you is, is this sustainable? No, it's not. And um, the Tigers have in a year when I mean, their offense hasn't performed at all, but, I mean, they base their foundation on their young starting pitching, you know, Mize, Manning, Scooble, and all of them are hurt right now. And um, it just shows you, you know, Kansas City based their rebuild on all the young starting pitching that they drafted, Coar, you know, Lynch, Singer. And pitching is really, really volatile, and it's really unpredictable. You know, guys, we live in an industry where velocity now makes up so much of how we value players. I just don't think velocity, the way it's construed in today's game, is sustainable within the pitcher ability to stay healthy. I just don't think it's possible. And I don't, I don't think these things are going to change until the industry puts some more emphasis on 
command, control, working quickly on the mound, strike throwing ability, changing speeds, pitching the context of your delivery, and not being max effort on every single pitch. I just don't think the body is uh, structured the way it is to you know, withstand the amount of velocity and the max effort tied to that velocity that we're currently seeing in the game. So I don't think it's sustainable. Yeah, and it's just sad hearing about all the surgeries and kids are getting, you know, growing up as a pitcher myself and I ended up pitching in college, you know, none of us had Tommy John surgery and the amount of kids that are, and I mean kids, kids under 18 having having Tommy John surgery is absolutely alarming. I want to get to bullpens because, you know, I I know with Oakland, I know you can say this with a lot of other teams. I I forgot sakes, Philadelphia, you know, there's years where we go, Hey, this is going to be a strength for us coming out of spring training, coming out of Mesa, Arizona. And then all of a sudden it's, it's a dumpster dive. Why is it so (laughs) hard to build a bullpen consistently? Well, again, it's the, it's the biggest area of volatility uh, on your roster building process and bullpen arms are more unpredictable than any other um, projection performance projection of any other uh, subset on your team for the simple reason. Most bullpen guys are guys that have been failed starters. Not failed, but their their pitch mix and their ability to, you know, throw more than two pitches or command their fastball exceptionally well. And then we've gotten into a game now where um, pitch tunneling and pitch selection has become and pitch shaping has become such a part of the dialogue. I mean, there's more breaking ball pitches thrown in our game than fastballs anymore. And the amount of stress that you're putting on the arm to be able to throw high velocity sliders, for example, is incredible. Now, topple that with usage patterns of bullpens year in and year out, where guys are throwing a ton of max effort pitches in high leverage situations. So there's a tremendous amount of stress level and the workload is enormous. Like I, Tampa's done an incredible job with their bullpens year in and year out. Look at the amount of injuries of players that they had in that bullpen just two years ago or three years ago. Um, they, they can't sustain health. There's just no way to sustain health. At this level of velocity, the amount of, of, of dynamic breaking balls are now throwing in the game and the way they're being used and the amount of innings and pitches they're being asked to suck up through the course of a, a 1,440-inning pitch season. It's just it, it's impossible for one health Number two, the sustainability of the performance because of those factors. Don't forget, you can watch Dan across MLB Network's programming, including the MLB Draft Combine coming up on June 16th and 17th in San Diego. I love talking about the business of baseball with you because you get it because a lot of people just look at baseball as players and the players' numbers. And that's why I bring up Juan Soto. I live in Silicon Valley. I, you know, I've been around. I've been here watching Silicon Valley right. grow for all these years, right? So when people tell me about Juan Soto and how much that he is worth, I just go, listen, baseball, where it's going now, I believe we're a content platform now. That's why Apple, Peacock, right. Amazon, Hulu, they just, they need games, they need programming. So if you're going to tell me one player is worth $500 million. I'm like, what's the return on investment? The days of your cable deals are going away. I understand he's great. You can compare him to Ted Williams or whatever, but how can one player generate that much revenue for you? Is it possible? Is anybody really worth 
that kind of money. Can that player re- re- give you the return on investment? Well, I think if you look at it historically, Jeff, the bottom line is is that anytime you have uh, 25% of your payroll tied up into any more than three players, those teams rarely ever, if at all, win at the major league level. So he is only as he's a great player, but it's it's the the total asset allocation of payroll. So if you take a model that you're going to spend 50% of your revenue on um, on on major league payroll, and Juan Soto hypothetically is going to take up 50 million of that. Say it's a 10-year deal at 50 million dollars a year. Then you're you're ultimately you're going to have to have a revenue base that your 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 payroll is going to have to be pushing somewhere between 350 and 400 million dollars to be able to put a model in place where his particular salary doesn't destroy your capability of surrounding him with 24 other or 25 other players that allows you to ultimately have sustained success. You know, I'm not saying that he's not that valuable. All I'm saying is that in context to the development of a team, it's really, really problematic to pay any player that large a percentage of your overall payroll. Again, unless your payroll capabilities are through the roof, and we've never seen those type of consistent payrolls, or if at all, in, our, in the history of our game. We'll play both sides of it. If you have him as the player, or you're the GM that wants to acquire him, what do you think he's worth, and how would you handle it? Well, the closer they get to his free agency years, his worth is going down dramatically. If the Washington baseball team, the Nationals, do not feel they can sign him, they're faced with a crippling decision. And I say this, you could trade Juan Soto for the greatest group of prospects that there is in the game. And more than likely, none of those prospects will ever come close to generating the type of war value that he can in your roster construction. Saying that, if you have no capabilities of signing him to the the dollars that you mentioned or anything close to that, then you have to build your team in the aggregate. You have to be able to say, okay, how many good young players can we get back? How many do we feel has a chance to turn impact? How many do we feel are a chance to be solid contributors? And then how do we allocate the rest of the resources to build a 26-man roster that can compete for a championship without having that particular individual be one of the best players on that roster. If you're the acquiring club, you have to go through that same exact thought process. You know, I look at what the A's got back, for an example, for Matt Olson. And if, if and, and everybody kept talking about how Alex Anthropoulos made a great deal because he got great young player, Matt Olson. He got him signed to what I feel is a very fair contract for his capabilities. But I look at it, the talent level that he gave up, Shane Lagaliers right now, I can make an argument, is the best catching prospect in the game of baseball. His value to the Oakland A's over the next seven years, um, depending upon service time issues, six to seven years, is absolutely enormous. If Pache figures out how to hit, because his defensive war is like one of the best in the game, the value that they got back from Matt Olson when the Braves could have signed Freddie Freeman almost to the identical dollar amount. Uh, again, I know the dynamics of the, of the negotiations or the relationships that took place in there. I'm looking at it going, oh my God, I would have much rather held on to that talent and signed Freddie Freeman, even if I've got to eat a back end of that deal, that maybe his value is not what it is in the first four years of that deal. 
And so I thought the A's, for an example, got enormous value back as they construct their club moving forward because they have two catchers right now that are legitimate all-star type catchers at the most demanding, hard-to-acquire position within the game. So either guy could turn into multiple other assets for them at some point in time if they choose to go down that path. So I'm trying to use that comparison in the same way. You've got to get so much more back than Soto because Soto is such the, even a better player uh, than Matt Olson. That's why these deals are really, really difficult to come by. Let's end on this. If you ever thought about coming back again, and you've been sitting out of the game. You've been watching everybody operate. You, you you see how the markets change, how philosophies change. What's the one thing that you think you would say, I'm going to do this, and that's why I would be successful versus the other 2019s? What have you seen maybe something in the market you could manipulate? Honestly, I, I think all the clubs recognize it. Um, I'm just not sure all of them know how to do it. And it, looking back at my career, I'm hypercritical of everything that I did well and certainly even more hypercritical of all the things I did poorly. But the one thing that I, I always felt like there was a competitive advantage, and to this day I still feel there's a competitive advantage, if you can scout well and you can develop better, no matter what the limitations that you may have at your major league level, you will be very successful. And I think there's more competitive bandwidth right now in the development process of our game than ever before, because there is a, there would be an opportunity to take what I call instinctive intelligence. So instinctive intelligence is you. You've spent all your, your life around the game. You, you've played it, you've studied it, you watch it, you comprehend it, you apply it. You, there's, there's a way to take a group of men with, or women with incredible instinctive intelligence, combine that with intellectual intelligence that exists now within our game. But I wouldn't want it to exist in our game to the point that, that now that instinctive, I mean, that intellectual intelligence groups makes up the bulk of the decisions within the front office without the balance of an instinctive intelligence group, making sure that the direction that the one group provides leads to the proper decision in each and every player. The bottom line is what's never going to change about the game is the clubs and the individuals involved in those clubs. If you select the right players and you put them in a world-class development process, I have absolutely no doubt you can win and you can sustain winning. Look at the Astros. They lose George Springer. They've got Kyle Tucker. They lose Correa, they've got Pena. They lose Cole, they lose Greinke, they've got Valdez, they've got Urquidy, they've got Garcia, et cetera, et cetera. Look at the Dodgers. They lose players, they plug other young players in. And those, those are clubs with very large payrolls. So if you scout players well and you develop them exceptionally well, you can turn – what I call um, value players into contributors and contributed players into impact players and impact players into sustainable impact players. That'll never change in the game. It's just the ability to do that even better now than when I was running teams for me gives you a huge competitive advantage uh, within this industry right now. 
Absolute radio gold. It doesn't get any better than that. I got to tell you, it is always an honor to have you on the program. You know we will be watching. Uh, appreciate your time. You be well, and let's talk soon. Thank you so much for having me on. Dan O'Dowd, fantastic. He is good. Not going to get him all the time, though, Commander, but it is great to have Dan on the program as much as we can get him. Yeah, well, remember, now we have his number, and you guys are like best friends. Uh, you know, we're, we're, he's a friend of the program, as we like to say. He's also a good friend of Billy Bean. knows David Forrest real well. All right, we are like crunch for time. Do we have time for the Mark Kotze So Your skipper brought to you by Nest Betting? Yeah, we do. I mean, I, I wish more of Commander and I on screen, but the bottom line, we've been working hard trying to give you the best content in the game. It's Friday. That means it's time for the Mark Kotze Show. It's now time for the Mark Kotze Show, brought to you by nestbedding.com. Check out their locations, Nest Bedding, in the Bay Area. You'll love their stores. And when you go in their stores or you go online, tell them use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off your order for your bed. Uh, the mattresses are unbelievable. Pillows, bedding, you name it. Go to Nest Bedding, their stores, or go to nestbedding.com. Use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off your order. Love where you sleep. Mark, how are you? I'm well. Just uh, starting a Friday morning here in Danville and uh, already went to Starbucks, got an Americano, so uh, we're getting locked in. I love it. Ready to rock. And you know, yesterday uh, you saw we had Marcus Simeon on the set of A's Cast Live and you know, the relationships in this game that you build through all these years and you think of how long you've been playing baseball from the time you were a kid in Southern California and then through Fullerton and then through the minor leagues, the relationships are so key. And Marcus is a great example because I saw you guys hug and embrace. No matter what, he'll always be known as a great Oakland A. Just talk about what's special about our game is the bond of the relationships that you build throughout your career. Yeah, you know, County, that's, a, that's well said. Um, just this morning, I reached out to a good friend of mine, Trevor Hoffman. Uh, we talked bullpen. We talked pitching. Um, you know, the relationships really are, are, are what not only baseball, the game of baseball is about, but life is about as well. So, um, you know, the value of the relationship uh, gets built from, from that trust and that foundation of and that bond that you create with just spending time with guys. And Marcus was one of those guys, Marcus Simeon, a true uh, professional in, in every way, uh, made sure he came out early, made sure, you know, he connected with guys that he played with here in Oakland, uh, as well as yourself, just giving the time to come over and, and spend time, uh, you know, talking and not, not just talking to you, but talking to the A's fans, the, the fans that he grew up with, uh, that he still cares for the community that, uh, he's still a part of in the off season. We talked about, you know, him still having a home here and just the attachment. And, uh, and that's just says so much about Marcus's character, uh, and just, you know, the person he is. You know, it's funny. You mentioned Trevor Hoffman, you know, everybody, all those years are like, Oh, Bruce Boach. He's the genius with the bullpen. It's like, He's a genius. All he has to do is do a little hell's bells and bring that guy to the bullpen and the game's <laughs> over. Uh, you kind of have that right now with Danny Jimenez. We've been running the numbers here on Ace Cast Live about Danny Jimenez. I know you guys got your numbers. I'll give you one that's simple. Hitters are batting .028 this year. 
against his slider. I mean, wow. Danny Jimenez has become your lockdown guy in the ninth inning. Just talk about how that's developed. Yeah, well, you know, going into spring training and assimilating the bullpen, um, you know, we really didn't know um, at that time it was Lou Trevino um, based on the fact that Lou had done it before at the major leagues and Lou had been a part of this uh, team and, and had some success in that role. And, you know, as the season started, we, we put guys in situations early to test them to see, you know, what they uh, were able to accomplish and leverage roles. And Danny really stood out. Danny, um, you know, pitched in some games early, showed us some confidence in terms of just the uh, demeanor on the mound. Uh, he's, he, you wouldn't know if there's bases loaded or, or nobody on in two outs. Uh, he he attacks the strike zone. And, and I love that you mentioned his slider because I've been asked several times, you know, what him and his off-speed pitch is. And I just continue to say, well, it's a, it's a breaking ball. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's, he's definitely had a lot of success and, uh, and we couldn't be happier for Danny and, and, and the role that he's fulfilling on, on this club. Yeah, it's so funny now with baseball savant, what we get, you know, obviously your guys' numbers are far different than ours, but we get – I mean, is it a cutter? Is it a slider? Is it a curveball? Is it a slurve? Hell, I don't care what it is. Does it get people out? Yeah, that's right. You know, and and I don't think it registers um, correctly. Uh, you know, and and I don't know how to classify it because it 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 looks like a split from the side. It acts like a slider. It definitely has depth of a curveball. So. Um, you know, it's a great pitch and it's one that he has confidence in. He has confidence throwing it three, two, um, you know, with, with the hitters, um, in a lot of times those situations are, they've got anxiety as well. So, uh, the higher the leverage situation, um, you know, I think the, uh, more likely hitters do expand. And I think we've seen that with Danny as well. You know, balls coming back at pitchers, uh, obviously scary around the league and, you know, around our A's family, it's hit hard at times, you know, with what happened with Brandon McCarthy years ago, obviously with Chris Bassett, it's really scary. And when it came back at Frankie Montas, uh, luckily the x-rays came back, nothing nothing was broken. But when you saw him crouch down on that mound and his hand was shaking, I mean, you knew that he was in pain, might have been even numb. Uh, the shock of it, the adrenaline going, you guys, you know, obviously he wasn't going to be able to continue. You took him out of the game. Uh, everything worked out. And then to see him come back and throw the way he did, like Anaheim never happened. Just talk about how proud you are of him and that effort last night because he was absolutely dominant. Yeah, Frankie last night, um, as you talked about in Anaheim, um, being hit in the hand with the line drive. And from my perspective in Anaheim, I actually thought it got the majority of his glove. And once I saw him go grab his hand and kind of bend down, uh, knew that it was more than just a glove. And you know, when we Nick and I got out there to look at Frankie, um, realizing, you know, okay, it's, it's the fingers. And uh, as you talked about, they were numb and, you know, he threw a couple, two pitches, I believe, and just couldn't feel the baseball. So fortunately, as you, as you said, he, he the x-rays came back negative and, and, you know, talking to Frankie the next day, he felt, you know, a hundred percent better, had feeling in his hands, played catch. And 
taking him out last night, I, I expected that performance from him. Uh, anytime you have a competitor like Frankie that, that doesn't get to, to finish a start for, you know, those, those unforeseen reasons, um, you know, you, you just have this innate feeling that he's going to go out and dominate. And, uh, and he did last night. He had everything working. He had a slider, a split, plus velo on his fastball and uh, utilized all three pitches uh, to pitch through the seventh and, and, and punch out 11 guys. When you look at Paul Blackburn, we've been joking, calling him Polly Winday because the way he's throwing for you with a 1.70 ERA, I know you can talk grip change and you can talk about mechanical stuff. And I've said this to Scott Emerson too, that you can talk all that stuff with me, but there's something different about him. The demeanor on the mound, the way he's attacking guys, the way he's not afraid to utilize his fastball. So for you from the dugout, what's different about Paul Blackburn? Well, I, I think you, you nailed it there. Uh, his demeanor, his confidence. Um, he's got uh, an attitude that I would describe in, in two words, Tony, but can't be said over the radio. So um, it, it's a look of, you know, when you meet somebody in the dark alley and, and you know you're in for it, um, and most likely you'll turn around and walk away. And uh, when, when someone has that look in their eye that, that they're a, uh, a, a confident, let's just use that word, uh, aggressive, um, you know, bull, bully. And, uh, and I think Paulie's, you know, found himself, uh, he's, he's found the, the identity um, that he needs to be successful here. And, uh, and he's continuing to, to grow, uh, continuing to go out and perform. And, uh, and it's just it's so great to see uh, a, a player from, from our organization that's been a part of this group uh, but never really cemented himself in the rotation um, stepping up and, and having the type of success. I got to ask you about defense and shifting because we saw it last night and you see it on if you watch enough quick pitch on MLB Network, their highlight show, you see it all the time. Like infielders are so used to, you know, doing what they do. I play shortstop. I play third. We see uh, on the set of Ace Cast Live guys just take constant ground balls working on their craft. And then all of a sudden you move these guys in in the shift and you put them in positions that they're maybe not totally used to, and you can have a double play situation that ends up getting screwed up and because guys look awkward. And I just wonder, how much do you guys practice like double play situations in shift formations so that guys are more comfortable when that does happen in a game? Yeah, so we, we do practice double plays in the shift. Um, we spend a lot of time, as you talk about, working on ground balls um, from the beginning of spring training. Uh, when we do all of our fundamental work in spring training, um, not only do we do it in a regular defense, but we do it in the shift defense, whether that's you know through cutoffs and relays uh, to turning double plays. And, and last night in the game, I, I know what player you're, you're talking about in particular. I think it was Jonah Heim, uh, left-handed hitter. We're in a shift, but we're also respecting the fact that this, that Jonah has laid down a bunt. So our third baseman is, is in a modified kind of bunt situation. Uh, our second baseman, uh, Sheldon Noisy's over in the hole, and Elvis is you know playing a what would be second base 
uh, position, even though he's our shortstop and a double play. So to turn double play, it's, it's very difficult in that defense. And uh, once the ball was hit last night to Elvis's right, you know, Sheldon reacted to the baseball being hit, took off towards the base. So that looked a little bit awkward. But really what we're doing is we're defending against the hitter's strength. And so if you have a runner on first, um, you can look at it two ways. If, if he pulls the ball through the four hole, now we're first and third, no outs. And what we're doing there is we're trying to eliminate the first and third, no out situation. We're sacrificing the double play to a certain extent to keep that runner off third and take the out. And in that play, unfortunately, the ball took Elvis to his right. Um, you know, I think he had time to get up and make the throw to first base. He threw it awkwardly off one knee. Uh, Bethancourt uh, didn't make the pick. And, and now we're first and second, no outs, as opposed to having a runner at second and one out where it eliminates the probability of, of, of them scoring. So that's really what we're looking at. Uh, even though the play looked awkward, uh, I thought our defense was set up in the right position to, to get it out. Let's end on this. And speaking of setting up the defense, because you've been the defensive. Did you call yourself a defensive coordinator? No, I wasn't. I was just the infield coach last year. And, um, you know, and, and doing that, I, you know, taking the role to Darren Bush of, of you know, run prevention. So Darren and, and Scott Emerson work together because we obviously have a pitching plan of how we're going to pitch guys. And we want to align our defense up uh, to, you know, behind the kind of approach that we're going to take to get guys out. So I like the defensive coordinator, though. That would, you know, whether you're going to run a three, four <laughs> or a four, four defense cover two. Um, all right. So when you're setting the defense, now that we have pitch comp, how much is that helping infielders, center fielder? How much is pitch comp helping knowing that the, they, they know exactly the fielders know exactly what the pitch is going to be. Is it helping or is it something eh, not that big of a deal? Well, you know, I think it does help. It gives them the anticipation um, that, you know, if you're playing third base and you, we've got a left-handed pitcher on the mound, we're throwing a slider back foot. You, the third baseman can anticipate that ball being hit to him. Um, and in that possibly take a step to the line to protect the ball from going, you know, down the line and, um, so I, I do think there's some advantages. I know that there's a definite advantage of not having signs stolen at second base. Um, you know, Tony, with, I can explain this so that fans can have a better um, understanding of what Pitchcom is, but Pitchcom delivers the, the sign that the catcher normally gives to the pitcher and to four of, or three of the infielders. So really, Tony, there's only five Pitchcom devices. So the outfielders don't have them. And one of the infielders doesn't have one as well. So this is what MLB is working on. They're fine-tuning it. But um, I really believe in it. And I think it's, one, sped the game up. Uh, and, two, eliminated some of the sign stealing at second base, which I'm a big proponent of. Um, so hopefully, you know, there's some quirks to it. Uh, crowd noise, um, you know, sometimes interferes with players' ability to, to hear uh, the pitch being called. And then – there are buttons on the pitch com that catchers use to call pickoffs, um, you know, but there probably could be even more uh, if you wanted to call a bunt defense, if you wanted to call a first and third defense. Um, I think, I think they're going to, you know, add these, um, add these calls to the, to the wristband or to the device and, uh, and make it even better. So I, I'm a big proponent of it.
Yeah, at some point you're going to have the button that says, hey, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> it's changing so different than the old days. Hey, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. We know you uh, want to improve the record at home in front of the fans, and you got a nice long homestand here, and the Astros after the Rangers, and then the Red Sox go. So good luck the rest of the week, and we'll talk to you next Friday. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. And that's the skipper of the Oakland Athletics, Mark Kotze, here on Ace Cast Live. That's going to do it today for us, for Townie, who, well, obviously he's not here for watching on video, and me, Commander Cody. We want to thank C.J. Nikowski of the Texas Rangers, Kevin Smith of the Oakland Athletics, Dan O'Dowd of MLB Network, and the skipper, Mark Kotze. Before we go, I'm going to give you one read. See the best fireworks in the Bay. Saddle up for a one-of-a-kind country experience to see our very first fireworks show of the season presented by UBO Business Services. Enjoy a mix of the best country hits after the A's take on the Boston Red Sox on Friday, June 3rd. That's next Friday. Tickets are available at athletics.com slash tickets. That's athletics.com slash tickets. Again, thank you to all of our guests, to everyone listening and watching on YouTube. We'll be back for A's Cast Live on Tuesday ahead of the series against, well, actually game two of the series against the Houston Astros. We'll be back at 4 o'clock on that day. Have a great weekend, everyone. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 